Welcome to Batty to Batty, a monthly podcast by For the Breast of Us, the first breast cancer community for all women of color, where we share real-life experiences, information, and education to help you live your best life after a breast cancer diagnosis. Welcome to Batty to Batty. Welcome to Batty to Batty. It is the West Coast Batty checking in. My name is Marissa. I am the CEO and co-founder of For the Breast of Us. I was diagnosed with stage two ER positive breast cancer at the age of 35 in 2015. Even though I may be growing my Georgia peach right now, I am originally from Tacoma, Washington, so still always West Coast true to my heart. I'm excited to start chatting with you, so let's go. Hey girl, hey, and welcome to a special episode of Batty to Batty. It is Black History Month, and for the rest of us, would like to highlight Black thrivers in the community. Today, I'm joined with Thelma, Terlisa, Valencia, and Roberta, Black thrivers who have and continue to do some amazing things in our community. Welcome, ladies. If you don't mind, why don't you go on ahead and introduce yourselves? Uh, Roberta, we'll start with you. Where are you from? When were you diagnosed? And tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm Roberta Albany, and most people know me as Bobby. Um, I was diagnosed back in December of 2013, stage 2B, grade 3, uh, estrogen-positive uh, uh, breast cancer, invasive ductal carcinoma, and I live in the Pennsylvania area, outside of Philadelphia. Great. Valencia, why don't you go next? Hi, I'm Valencia Robinson. I was diagnosed in October 2006, so I'm a 15-year survivor. I was diagnosed with triple negative disease and told I was only going to live up to five years that this cancer would take me out. But I'm still here and I'm for um, the opportunity to speak and share with you all today. Thank you. And Thelma, you're next. Hi, I'm Thelma Brown. I'm from Birmingham, Alabama, and I was first diagnosed in 2008. Early stage ER positive breast cancer. I had a recurrence, another local recurrence in 2014. So I am a two-time breast cancer survivor. And but I started in this journey with breast cancer long before my diagnosis because I am also a co-survivor with uh, six of my sisters, five of my sisters. I'm girl number six. <laughs> my mom and several aunts with breast cancer. So oh, wow. this, I live this. Yeah. Because I need to live. Yes. And last but not least, Terlisa. Hi, I'm Terlisa Shepard and I was first diagnosed in November 1998, uh, 23 years ago. I was just 31 years old. And at 
age 34, I was diagnosed metastatic. And my oncologist at that time didn't have much hope of me living and actually gave up on my life, mm. continued to treat me, but had no hope at all. I am triple positive uh, and still here thriving and fighting. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. Right. So let's hop into the conversation because it is Black History Month and I definitely want to amplify and highlight all of the work that you all are doing and as being survivors and thrivers. So as a breast cancer survivor myself, um, I definitely look up to each of you. Um, you know, I came into this space, I was diagnosed in 2015 at stage two. And when I came into the breast cancer community space, I actually knew all of you just seeing some of the work that you were doing in social media and some of the in-person conferences that I was able to be and seeing you there and hearing you talk. So that was important to me. Um, so I really look up to everything that you're doing for the community, whether it just be for myself, but other black women that are here as well. So when you were diagnosed, what were some of the disparities you've noticed and how has that changed today? Anybody feel free to answer. Well, when this is them, when I was first diagnosed, I just didn't see me. Mm -hmm. um, I would go to some of the local organizations and I tried to get involved in one in particular. And um, they gave me this long form to fill out <laughs> to show that I was qualified <laughs> to um, volunteer. Wow. And then I realized that, that was not the place for me. One of mm -hmm. across town to another organization and I was um, greeted with open arms. But the big thing is there were not a lot of people that looked like me volunteering and being the face of breast cancer in my community. And so it was very important because going into the community and talking about breast cancer, it goes over totally different if you have someone that looks like you. Yeah. When I was diagnosed, my children were three, four, five, and eight, and I was a high school teacher. I didn't know at the time that I had a family history of breast cancer, so... Like Thelma, I didn't see, when I went to my oncologist, I did not see people who looked like me. They were older white women, primarily. Mm -hmm. And, um, but my oncologist, after I changed and found a new oncologist, she was very, very helpful in helping me to find support groups. And even though I was really the only black lady in the support group of older white women, I learned so much in that group. I really did because we would have um, meetings at the radiolog radiologist's office and they would provide food and they had speakers to come in and talk. So I really learned a lot because my oncologist was very young and she was like, you need to do this and you need to learn about this. So she really helped, helped me to navigate. Mm -hmm. And you know, that doesn't happen for everyone and nowadays, I think you just have to go forth and do your advocacy work. Don't wait for a doctor. If you're bold and you're wanting to work in this space, you just got to go forth and do it. Right. 
Roberto, yeah. Chalisa. This is Chalisa. I, um, it's funny that Thelma and Valencia talking about that. I started 23 years ago, like I said, and I was just 31. I saw only one black person at the cancer center that I was going to. Mm. And I was beginning to ask myself, is there any black people around here that has cancer or being treated for cancer? It was very scary. First of all, uh, being as young as I was and support groups, I knew of none. There wasn't any. I strictly had to rely upon my family and friends that were supporting me at that time. And being a new mom, I had a, I was pregnant with uh, my daughter when I was diagnosed. I was doing all I could to just survive. And that was very sad that I couldn't even envision looking upon any type of support group that I felt that I can get necessary information at that time. Mm -hmm. Robert, I think you were going to chime in. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Chalisa. Um, yeah, you know what? I think we all have similar um, experiences. So when I was diagnosed back in 2013 and all my treatment began in 2014, um, I noticed when I would go to different events that the hospital was um, offering to cancer patients, um, most of the time I was always the only black woman. And I didn't understand that when I did see black, you know, people getting chemo and everything. So mm -hmm. I asked the medical community, you know, I asked them, did they pick and choose who they give the information to? And they said that they give it to everyone. Um, you know, they make sure everyone is afforded the opportunity. So I didn't understand why black women were not participating. So what happened at the time when I was diagnosed, I was part of Black Girls Run. And there was another survivor, thriver there named Sarita Joy Jordan. And I always say she was my you know, my big sister, my mentor. And I spoke with her about some of the issues that I was noticing um, in the, where I was being treated. And she told me that for whatever reason, our people don't participate like they need to. And it's up to us to be that advocate to teach them and educate them. And she told me to take care of myself first. So when I completed all my treatment in 2014, um, in 2015, I became an advocate through Living Beyond Breast Cancer to do just that. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead, Valencia. Sorry. A lot of times it's the financial piece. Like we were talking before the show, there are women who are working. I was working. Mm -hmm. But because they provided dinner, it was like, okay, I can leave the kids and go to the doctor's office. And, and sit and chat and have dinner with these ladies. For me, it was like, oh yes, something for me to learn, to grow in my breast cancer journey. But a lot of people may not have daycare. They may not have support to leave their children. They may not have, you know, depending on their job and their work schedule, it's just, it's just a lot, mm -hmm. a lot to yeah. deal with. And I found in my community, a lot of the programs were being offered in the middle of the day. Mm, yeah. So leave out working women, uh, <laughs> young women. 
So the support was just not there. Mm -hmm. So do you feel now that that has changed? I know with, you know, for the rest of us, we're just strictly an online community and that's where we provide all of our information to, you know, women of color who are diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, but do you feel like that that is changing somewhat now, now that we have these type of platforms where people can get this information virtually versus when you were diagnosed? Or do you think we still have a lot of ways to go? Well, I think the virtual community has made major inroads, particularly in our community, for the reasons we just spoke about. Mm -hmm. We can have the, those kids in the next room <laughs> and take <laughs> 45 minutes out to fellowship, to share information with our sisters. So I don't want anybody to ever discount the influence of the online community because I, I have people that I feel like they're my sisters and I've never met them in person. Right. But they have, we've been able to establish such a deep relationship. So there's still a long ways to go but mm -hmm. I'm so thankful for this online community, not just for myself, because I have navigated pretty well with, you know, because I have my sisters, that's a support group in and of itself, mm -hmm. but it's not about me. Right. And so that's what, where this online community, particularly in this pandemic, has yes. been golden. Yes, that's one of the things that I've noticed as well. And, and the fact that we have Black women running these organizations, right? Mm -hmm. That is the key right there. You guys, Tiger Lily, Ricky, mm -hmm. all of Tia, all of the women who are, who are doing this work and you owning your own organizations, you're building your businesses. That is the key right there. Because back when I was diagnosed, no, I just had to go with the flow. And I'm <laughs> glad I did. I go, I'm glad I did because working with others, and I, I, I was just at an event, and this is something I have to say, we have to work together with different right. races. We have to, because I found so much joy and I did project lead as a result of my relationships with the other people in the um, other groups that I was involved in. So I learned so much from them that propelled me to, you know, the level of advocacy that I'm doing now. So it's great that we have our own, but it's also great to stay connected to mm -hmm. other larger organizations that mm -hmm. may be run by white people. I mean, seriously, we have to do it together. We need them. They need us. Right. That's true. That's very mm -hmm. true. Um, I say that all the time, but you're right. Um, I, too, learned a lot by, you know, participating with um, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, um, being a project lead grad. As a matter of fact, Teresa and Valencia are my project lead mates. Yes, girl. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> So, yes, um, and I will say, I think the difference now than when I was diagnosed is that it's more Black nonprofit grassroots organizations out there owning their own. And yes, we do have to collaborate, 
Mm-hmm. Um, most certainly. Um, but at the same time, you you do learn, trust and believe. I Valencia is right. You you learn a lot, but at the same time, so that information that I've learned, I just took it back to my community. Um, like I said, I was with Black Girls Run and different other running groups. So all that information, even with me being the only black woman sometimes in the support groups, that information, since the white women love to talk, I took that information back to our community. So they mm-hmm. know that these things are out there for them. They can get this. We don't have to struggle. and We don't have to do it in silence. Right. And, and, and that's the key, Marissa. We, we have to make ourselves available to others, especially those who look like us, who mm-hmm. need our help. You know, I said all the time that I'm from a very rural community that I grew up in. And the nearest cancer center was at least an hour away. And, you know, just making it there uh, and coming back, a lot of people are not even getting necessary resources that they could be getting. Right. So make ourselves available and, and help those who are in need of our help. Right. And just sharing a lot of the the information, like you said, and the resources that we know about within our communities, you know, Roberta, like you touched on a subject too. It's just like going to some of these support groups where even though it may be all white women, they love to talk and they're going to tell us everything that they've been doing and all the resources that they have. And, you know, it's our job and our responsibility to go back to our sisters, you know, and let them know about these resources. So they have them as well, instead of just holding that information you know, to ourselves. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And that, and that is key. So I have, um, you know, since my nine year journey, I have seen the growth um, and some of the women that I have, you know, come in contact with. And I always try and tell of the other organizations, um, you know, the white organizations is about building relationships with our community. Mm-hmm. You have to build you have to build a, build the relationship and the trust. You just can't come to us when you need us for something and then leave us alone. <laughs> right. You know, you can't do that. And that's the same thing with clinical trials and things of that nature. You you have to build that relationship and that trust. It's so big. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, one thing that I want to touch on, um, Thelma, that I know that you spoke about in Valencia, you said too, Thelma, you said that all of your sisters, it sounds like were diagnosed with breast cancer and Valencia at the time that you were diagnosed, you didn't know that you had family history of it. And I think within communities of color, especially black communities, we don't talk about health and we don't talk about our health history. And that is a detriment to us. And so can both of you kind of touch on that on whether you knew your health your family history and what you're doing now to make sure that everybody, the generations that are coming behind you knows about that health history and how they can advocate for themselves. Well, I did. I was in probably a unique situation and, and mainly because I had several members of my family in the healthcare field, sister that was a physician and a sister that ran a healthcare organization. So I was keenly aware of my health history in some ways, I was just sitting there waiting for breast cancer to strike. I had thought about having prophylactic mastectomy, but pushed it off. But I was unique. And I recognized early on, I was unique. 
I shouldn't be, I should not have been unique, but I was, my family was. Mm -hmm. And so early on, when I started uh, volunteering with Coleman and doing my outreach presentation, I took extra time when I got to that part about knowing your health history, particularly if the audience was black. Mm. I made, I, I made, it put that in, you know, and I talked about how we, we talk about in secret that woman's cancer and, and Aunt Sue died from something, but we didn't tell it. So mm -hmm. I took time and I think, as they say, to whom much is given, much is required. Because I knew, because I had the resources, it is incumbent upon me. I have no choice but to talk. And this is the beauty of our own organization. We are now getting the word out. And I go to um, give presentations now. People are more keenly aware of the risk factor as it relates to heredity. Not, it was not like that 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So I've seen a shift in our community about the willingness to talk about breast cancer, about the willingness to talk about cancer altogether. And I mm -hmm. think that that is a direct result of those grassroots, that grassroots effort, not necessarily organization, but the effort of getting yeah. that out. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I was diagnosed at 33. And, and when it hit me, the diagnosis, I wasn't aware of the family history. I wasn't aware of the aunts that had had a double mastectomy or single mastectomy. I wasn't aware of that. And I said to my mom, I said, Mama, you never taught me to do a self-breast exam. Never. Growing up, my mother never told me to do that. Never. Now, once I became an adult, I had I had, had four children, you know, before I was diagnosed. So I'm sure at some point during the doctor's office visits, they were telling me during my annual exams, but for whatever reason, or maybe they were not, I don't remember. So just had just knowing that is huge. I have two teenage daughters. I'm always telling them to check their breasts, to eat healthier. That My kids used to do so well with their diet because I was cooking and they ate what I cooked. Mm -hmm. But now they're teenagers and they all go to Chick-fil-A every day if they could to get food. And it's like, you guys can't eat this. And I know some people will say, well, what will be will be, but healthy nutritionists, Nutritional food is very, very good. Exercise is very, very good and needed. And that may not prevent, but it will just help you feel better each and every day. And I would tell my sister and all my family members, and, and if they were to hear this, they would, they would just have a fit. But I have cousins who are obese. I mean, morbidly obese. And they're the same age as me. Or they're younger than me. And I'm telling them, guys, don't eat this. We'll have a family gathering. And I'm like, don't eat this. And we shouldn't eat this. And this is too salty and this is too sweet. And they, oh, hush, oh, hush. They don't want to hear anything. My sister used to drink Mountain Dew all the time. And 
it was not until she got diagnosed that she came to me, okay, I need your help. It's like, why wait until you get a diagnosis before you start changing your habits? And yeah. now we have an auntie who's metastatic. And it's just like, but people in the family still don't listen to me. I'm trying to encourage them to do yoga and to just, I wanted our family to do a weight loss challenge and no one wants to come on board. And, and it's like people, and we hear it all, all day. I'm like, this was Michelle Obama's platform, being healthy and gardening. And we grew up on the farm. Mm-hmm. There's no excuse for us to just eat and do these things that, that are not really helping our bodies and causing harm to our bodies. So it's hard to get just my family members to do right. But you know, I think conversations are not one time and that's with anything, even with history. And because we live in such a scattered society, we may have cousins on the other part of the, in the other part of the country that we don't talk to. So those conversations about diet and exercise, about health history, encouraging people out, uh, family members to go to the doctor. It's not a one-time thing. We have to keep, it's, we have to, we have right. no choice. Yeah. yeah. But to keep having those conversations and we have to have them in a way that's non-threatening sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And so, and I do, um, I do, Miss Thelma. I do, I do. I was not saying that directly. <laughs> I'm just saying overall, you know, yeah. if we got to help our community, we can't give this speech one time. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was thinking about you. We can't give it one time. We can't tell our family members you got to have get that mammogram. We can't talk about it once and write it off. You have to say it over and over and because we're trying to save a life right yeah that's so true uh terlisa i have a question for you as uh, a woman and a black woman who is living with metastatic breast cancer why is it important for black women in particular to advocate for themselves it's very important to advocate for yourself uh, just from my experience i I was very young and the doc, I felt that my oncologist at the time didn't take me as serious as she could have, but could have at that time. And that, you know, that was part of me receiving my treatments. I had this sort of hang up, you know, that I shouldn't have gone through. And I don't want to see others having to go through what I went through. So I, you know, again, I make myself available. I give information out. I'm in treatments for the rest of my life. I just had treatments last week. And sometimes I find myself at the cancer center while receiving my treatments. I'm trying to help others, you know, get through their treatments um, Mm -hmm. on the phone or on social media. And Again, it's it's just very important that we reach out and and bring someone else up and and help them as much as we can. Yeah. Can I say something? And I don't want to monopolize this, but um, oh, it's okay. That runs across the board. I was considered high risk 
because of my family history. I was in a study at the time for women who were at high risk, getting this ductal lavage and everything. I had I found a lump. I had had a mammogram three months prior. I found a lump. I called the study doctor to get in to be seen. She felt it. She said, oh, I see a little bit on this ultrasound, but I don't think it's anything because you had a mammogram three months prior. My sister had died from breast cancer about six months before this, so I was a nervous wreck. I went to my primary care doctor the next day. He got me in that day. I had a mammogram. I saw a surgeon the same day. When they took that picture, they were so concerned about what they saw. Now, maybe waiting would not have uh, changed my prognosis. But you think about the person who don't have the wherewithal to call their primary care doctor the next day. Mm -hmm. Here I am, a young Black woman with a crazy family history. I am with this steady doctor and saying, look, I got something. And even with that, I was discounted. Even with that. So we have to advocate for ourselves and we have to teach others to advocate for themselves. Absolutely. Because it runs across the gamut. We are discounted not only with breast cancer, with all health conditions. Yeah, very true. Charlisa, were you going to say something? No, I'm just completely agreeing with that. Um, and again, I, I see it at the Cancer Center and I know how blessed I am to be just 15 minutes away from my Cancer Center. Mm-hmm. You know, I can hop on the phone and talk to someone or I can hop in my car and be down here in 15 minutes. And and I know a lot of people, they do not have this type of service that I have, you know, young, old, or whatever, and it makes a difference. I remember one day just seeing an older lady after getting her treatments, she was downstairs waiting, trying to get to the bus on a walker, and I literally told her, I'll take you home. You know, it was a, going to rain, and and I just felt very bad that she probably didn't know of resources that probably could have gotten her home, you know, that mm-hmm. she didn't have to wait in the rain for the bus to get home. So it's, it's things like that, that we have to make ourselves available to help others. Yeah. And now, Bobby, I know that you have participated in a lot of advocacy groups, um, like Living Beyond Breast Cancer and things of that nature. How is it you know, let's say there's a black woman that wants to get involved. How can black, more black women be involved in these programs? Where can they start? Um, I always talk about the Young Women's Advocate Program because that's how I began my advocacy through Living Beyond Breast Cancer. So I tell them about, you know, the Young Women's Advocacy Program. I also tell them if they don't want to do that, they can do the helpline um, that they have. And then to hear my voice, um, program as well for those who are metastatic. And now that the Chrysalis Initiative is on board, Jamil Rivers, I talked to them about becoming breast coaches to help women 
um, that's, you know, newly diagnosed and going through this journey so they don't have to go through it alone. Um, truth be told, um, I wish there was a Christmas initiative or for the rest of us and stuff uh, was there, you know, nine years ago for myself, because for me, it was a struggle. Um, it was truly a struggle, but I refused to give up on myself and I understood the importance of advocating for myself and more importantly, advocating and educating our community. So, mm -hmm. um, so any organizations that have programs that will be able to help our communities, I share that information freely. And, and, I, and I stay on top of people like, did you apply for this, that, and the other? <laughs> I, think yeah. I, on, I think I get on their nerves, but it's okay because you know, because they'll call me and be like, oh, I applied to the Christmas Initiative or I did the Young Women's Advocate Program or the, uh, you know, go through Project Lead. So mm -hmm. um, that's my thing is just educating them, educating them and any resources that's out there that can help them make their lived experience or journey, however way they want to put it, a lot easier, then that's what I want to do. And I want to piggyback because Roberta, Terlisa, and I all met at Project Lead. I'm glad you threw Project Lead in there. But they're accepting applications now. And it is a great basic science course. It is like the premier thing that people who are willing to get into advocacy, that's one of the things they should do is mm -hmm. the Project Lead sponsored by the National Breast Cancer Coalition. So um, you can reach out to Marissa if you have any questions about Project Lead and or Tarlisa, Roberta and I. Yep, and, and we'll we put can, the link in the show notes too. So. Right, and, and the thing about it is we would have to write you a letter of recommendation mm -hmm. and we could do that. Even if we don't know you, we'll get to know you very well. So that <laughs> we can, uh, look, they need more representation, period. Yeah. So yeah. the year we went, they had several black women there. And one of the doctors kept commenting on, oh, she was just so excited because it was so many black women. Oh, she was just, <laughs> they wanted to eat with us at every meal. She was so excited because it was mm -hmm. obvious that they were not doing that prior. Right. So, yeah. I wasn't going to bring that up, uh, Valencia. Well, <laughs> we're being real. We're being real here today. So yeah. Everything. Yeah, we are. Let's just keep These it real. These organizations have come a long way. They have okay. come a long way, but there's still more to be done. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and we're going to tell them what they need to do. We need you to keep it real. We need you to keep it real. <laughs> well, it would be Valencia, right? Because I, yeah. I thought that in 2017, that was, ooh, that was something else. But we could talk about that offline, but yeah. <laughs> but I think another thing in, someone interested in advocacy needs to know is that you have something to give. I hear women they ex they're expressing an interest, but they're somehow timid and think, mm -hmm. I don't have what it takes. And I tell, I tell anyone, you have something to give. We all have gifts, be it public speaking, whether you are a social media whiz, you have something to give. And mm -hmm. I, think, I think a lot of people are intimidated 
when they hear breast cancer advocacy. And so we have to make it, open it up and make it more appealing and show how whatever your skill set is, you will be welcome in an organization because they need you. We mm-hmm. need you. Mm-hmm. And You're to right. piggyback off of Thelma, what she said, that's interesting that you say that because um, I will be honest, I was one of those persons, like, mm-hmm. like for instance, with Project Lead, that was very intimidating for me. I'm like, mm, I don't know if I can do this, but I went on and I did it. So you're right. And then it was, there was something else that I, um, that somebody told me to apply to a different organization a couple of years ago and it came up again and I was told to apply, but I kind of like talked myself out of it because um, the work is definitely intense. And I, you know what? And I went on and I applied, and guess what? I got accepted. I can't say the name just net just yet, but I got. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow!" So yeah, you do have that self doubt because it is intimidating. I will mm-hmm. be honest with people; it is intimidating. But once you go ahead and just step out on faith and do it, it's well worth it. So, and I share that with people in my community. I tell people, you know, I just didn't just say I'm gonna just do this. It took it took a it took a lot for me to do a lot of the different things that I do now in advocacy. Right. But, yeah. but advocating with others could be just as simple as holding someone's hand, exactly. listening to them talking. You know, we don't have to be standing up in front of a group speaking or, you know, pulling someone else in. You know, if we can just help that one person and then that person help the next person. I find myself a lot of times talking to people on social media that I never even met before, definitely haven't seen before. And you just don't know how far that can go for someone. You're absolutely right, Charlisa. My sister would never get on the stage and talk or do whatever, but she sends me emails. She, well, she actually calls me about this person at her job who was diagnosed. And we have an 89 year old who's diagnosed right now, close to where my sister's lives, lives. And there's, she doesn't speak, but she's constantly right. connecting me with people that she, she's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys need to talk to my sister. You just need to talk to my sister. So that is so true because she keeps funneling the patients into me. One particular patient, Terlisa and I both know her very well. They were driving from Tallahassee to Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. I was driving from Daytona to Mayo Clinic to meet she and her husband. And it was just, uh, it was so difficult for them. She wanted help and she needed support. So I was doing that. And then one day, Terlisa and I got in the car. Well, we had some events in Tallahassee, but we went to her house and we, she had a juicer. She had everything she needed. And we taught her how to juice because she was losing her strength. She was losing her will. And we're like, we're going to help you. And Terlisa got in that kitchen and she did, she made that juice and she's now gone. But it was just, it's simple things like that. We Mm -hmm. went to her neighborhood. They were having Zumba class. Terlisa and I got in there and we're doing Zumba at the end of the class. It must've been 20, 25 people. Lisa and I spoke and told them why we were there and we shared our breast cancer story. So that was a whole group of people 
that we shared, you know, because they all knew the lady who was dealing with her triple negative diagnosis, but it's simple things, cooking for people, that's, that's helping them. And that sometimes that's what they need the most. That's yeah. what they need the most. And that's what I was saying. That's what I mean about anyone. And actually the definition of advocacy is to publicly recommend or support, mm-hmm. which means anybody can be an advocate. If you're breathing, you can advocate. Yeah, I think that is the the perception when people see advocates, they're just like, you have this long resume, you have to be this big giant when there's so many small things that you could be doing to help, you know, those little bit of small things that everybody's doing, if we're doing those collectively together, they make such more of a powerful impact versus just, you know, a couple of us doing all these things at once. We have a saying at, you know, with our ambassadors that for the rest of us that, you know, many hands make light work. And that just means everybody, you know, they get involved to help out. It shouldn't just be on the shoulders of one or two people. We all can do a little bit here and there. Um, You know, with advocacy, you know, that's definitely important, especially, you know, after you've been diagnosed and you've gone through your treatment or if you're still in treatment. But also, um, what about the young women or even older women, you know, advocating for their own health? before they have a life-threatening disease. I think that's something that we definitely have to touch on and talk to. I have a young son who's 20 and, you know, my mom always taught us, you at least go get your annual physical and you go get your teeth checked. Bottom line, that should be the bare minimum that you're doing. And I think somehow there's been a disconnect to where, you know, young people aren't even doing those things. So how can we encourage, you know, the black community to do just those basic things? Because that's kind of where, to me, that's where advocacy starts for yourself. I think Thelma already said it. Keep telling them over and over (laughs) and over again. Anytime, keep saying it. Absolutely. We have to go where they are. We have to meet them where they are. It means going to colleges. And in discussions with sororities, we have to meet them where they are and where, where the people are. And we can't wait until someone is diagnosed with birth cancer. We need to talk to people for their diagnosis. Yeah. So like when you have family uh, cookouts, um, the holidays, let's talk about health, exactly. our health history. Our, our, you know, Let's talk about that. And that's what I do. Like I said, I, I know I get on my family nerves, but I don't care because <laughs> if I can make certain that they don't have to go through what we had to endure, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna get on your nerves. They go, they say, here she come, y'all, here I come. Let's talk. Yes, girl. They call me the the food police. Yes, yes, I'm gonna be the food police. <laughs> and you know what? This is the sad thing. Most times I bring my own food. You know, I was doing that. For years, because of my children and all their allergies, they can't have half of what my family prepares. But even though now I still bring my own food because it's like they just have the options are just not nutritious enough for me. And I want to continue to live and I want to feel good. Now I do cheat. I do cheat. But, you know, I, I am the food police at every gathering, every gathering. 
<laughs> but you know what? Everything is in moderation. I always tell my family that we could do things in moderation. So mm -hmm. I do the same thing too, Valencia. Sometimes I bring my own food. But what makes me happy is when my son and his girlfriend call me and say, oh, we went to Whole Foods and we got this, that, and the other. And I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. It's getting, it's getting through to them. Yay! So <laughs> those little things make me happy. So, And it's not just them, but it's other people, you know, that I've been just getting on their nerves, as they would say. But it, sometimes it takes time for them to get it. And like Thelma said, just keep at it. And that's what we have to do. And you're doing the right thing, Valencia. Just keep at it. You're breaking up, Thelma. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, there can you go. Go ahead. Yeah, we can hear you I now. We have to go beyond our families. We have to employ those same strategies in our communities also. We have to keep saying the same thing over and over again. It may be in different venues, but we still have to do the same thing in our because And I use a lot of my um, experiences that I've gone through uh, throughout my journey to show others, you know, just some of the many things that can happen during, a, uh, especially a metastatic uh, breast cancer diagnosis. And I try to, you know, get others to see you do not want any parts of this. You know, I don't want to see you going through any of this, you know, mm -hmm. if I have to bear it for you. Let me, but you know, just, you know, continue to be checked and, and follow up on different things. Don't take, you know, a simple excuse, whether from, you know, anyone just go forward. You have that um, intuition of feeling, you know, check it out. That's definitely, all of that is definitely good advice. For our last question before we wrap this up, because this was definitely a great conversation. I'm glad that I was able to get all of you together this evening to talk. But my last question for you is, as a Black breast cancer patient and advocate, what is one thing you've learned about the advocacy space and the healthcare space? Maybe some advice or tips that you would pass on to somebody that's diagnosed or wanting to get into advocacy or how they can navigate the, the healthcare system? Well, Marissa, we, we talk about communications, uh, communicating a lot, um, mm -hmm. but it's very important. You know, we got to stand up and talk. We got to be involved in the clinical trials and to show others, you know, what we are going through and how it can benefit them. And, and just being role models, you know, we, we are blessed to be thrivers and to be patient advocates. So let's get out there and do our job. You know, let's, let's do the best job that we can do. You know, we're helping someone else, possibly helping to save someone's life. Mm -hmm. And one thing I would say is you need to go, go easy into this, right? My kids, I said, was, were three, four, five, and eight. I didn't go into advocacy until my children were basically teenagers. I had a lot of people telling me to 
do project lead and do the DOD and do this and that. But I'm like, I have to wait and do this when I'm ready. Yeah. And I didn't feel like I could leave my children. I didn't want to leave my children. I was a classroom teacher. So there was really no time. I mean, there was literally no time. I did do community events. I, I would always speak at different symposiums and, and, and everywhere I went, I was sharing locally. So, and that's a good place to start. A good place to start is in your local community, it, especially if you feel that you can't travel because now all of us are traveling Mm-hmm. and doing things on a national level now, but you just have to take it slow and do just really do perspective work and, and figure out, because let me tell you, the advocacy that I love the most is the local retreats we have sponsored by one of the local doctors. We've been doing it for 10 years. I like writing checks to patients, giving them gifts, I like visiting with them. That's what I love. I love that. Out of everyone, I want to get to know the patients. Now I'm going to say something else. that, But I have attended a lot of funerals. Mm-hmm. But, but that's okay. It's okay because I know I did everything I could for those individuals while they were with us. And we honor their memory every year. And we still help the families. And that's the sad part about it. And that's not going to happen to everyone. But that's the part of this work that I love to do. So if you can just do something with someone in your local community, one person or two people, and help them as they go through their journey, you know, that would be so advantageous for that family. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to take a self-inventory. Everyone knows what they're passionate about. And wait and find your niche. You don't have to jump into advocacy one year after diagnosis. Two years yeah. after Take time and find what you're passionate about and find that niche. And that is where you will get the most satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Bobby or Kelly said, I, I mean, I was a single mom um, and had two kids. I was doing all I could just to get into treatments for myself and to take care of them. So I couldn't even think about getting out there on the road and advocating that particular way. But like Valencia said, you know, locally, I was doing all that I could and definitely just trying to pave the way because I had two daughters and I need to, you know, leave a legacy and, and with information for them to carry on. Yeah. Bobby, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I'm going to say I, I agree with everything Talisa Valencia and Thelma said. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I will just say, what I like to always say, um, be your best advocate. And more importantly, let's start having the conversations, not just with your family, but with your friends as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those conversations are definitely important too. Um, this has been a great conversation. And I know that we could continue this 
you know, for hours and hours, especially just to help uh, the women that are in our community. And I definitely want to thank each and every one of you for joining me today and for everyone to hear your perspectives and learn just a little bit more about you and why you advocate for all of us. Uh, but before we close it out, um, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Uh, Bobby, I'll let you go first. How can they get in touch with you? Well, I'm Roberta.Albany on Instagram, um, Albany on Twitter, and Roberta A. Albany on Facebook. Valencia? I'm Valencia McMillan Robinson on Facebook and Valencia1340 on um, Instagram and at Val Robinson eight on Twitter. Shirley said, and what about yourself? I know you're, I see you all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. <laughs> I am Teresa Shepard, but um, you can find me anywhere. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Teresa Fights. But she can't have any more. Um, she has too many people following her. <laughs> she can't have any more followers. <laughs> and Thelma, how about how can the listeners get in touch with you if they wanted to? I'm Thelma Perebram on Facebook. Team Perebram on Instagram. Ooh, Thelma, and sorry, your your phone's going in and out again. Okay. Thelma Perry Brown on Facebook, T. Perry Brown on Instagram, and T. Perry Brown on Twitter. Thank you. Well, ladies, like I said, it's been a great conversation. I thank you again for being here. We'll definitely put all your tags in the show comments and some of the tips that you added in here so that way that our listeners can know how to not only get in touch with you but check out some of the advocacy programs that you mentioned as well um i want to thank our listeners for listening this evening uh, make sure that you like share and subscribe to batty to batty wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and we will be in touch with you soon and you know happy black history month these are our Black drivers that we are celebrating. So thank you, ladies. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. Thank Bye. you for having us. Bye, everyone. This is another Baddie Creation brought to you by For the Rest of Us. Don't forget to subscribe to Baddie to Baddie wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at For the Rest of Us, on Twitter at The Breast of Us, and check us out online at breastofus.com. Thanks for listening.